This is She Sparks Tech, a podcast about women who take technology to heart in their careers. We will explore stories about women who think creatively, find new directions, solve problems, and chase passions, all through technology. I'm your host, Casey Bertelsman, and I am excited about showcasing amazing women and their careers, covering both expected and unexpected directions to expand our idea of tech careers, and in hopes of inspiring each of us to think a little bit bigger. Hi, Deborah. It's so great to have you here with me today on the She Sparks Tech Podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yes. Do you mind introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about you? Sure. I'm Deborah Farber, and I have been in privacy and data protection for over 17 years. My entire career has been a shift left from less technical to more technical, where I started out as going to law school. So I have a law degree, but now I spend most of my time focusing on emerging tech around privacy and data protection, as opposed to some of the policy, legal, governance, risk compliance side of the house where I originally started. So hopefully we could talk a little bit about my move uh, shifting left. I'm also the, the host of a podcast called a Shifting Privacy Left. So seems to be a theme that's popping yes. up uh, that I, you know, I think that the industry as a whole, the privacy and data protection, which kind of mirrors the history of how security matured is, I mean, it's an exciting story around privacy that I find a lot of passion around, you know, cause it's, it's, it's helping to make sure that people are respected, uh, not just the data about them, but people and their autonomy and choices and, and things along those lines. Yeah, there's so many things where we, you know, are constantly seeing the the tie to the governance piece of it, even, you know, not trying to make it political, obviously, but it is because there are different opinions and different pushes all along those lines. Absolutely. I mean, data data is just another asset that needs to be governed. And so what we, what you find is that within an organization, you can't protect data unless you know where it is. You can't know where it is unless you first do that mapping uh, of where it is. And so since we had in the earlier days of uh, uh, this data sprawl and like, you know, big data, collect all the data you can so we can figure out a use for it later. Now it's kind of like, a, oh crap, how, we, how do we protect that if we didn't have a good governance structure in the first place? How do we do that retroactively? Yes. And so, I mean, you said your background is in law. You went to law school. You have an undergrad business degree. Did you anticipate going into this sector when you were in law school or was there something else you were passionate about? Yeah, no, I I actually thought I wanted to go into intellectual property law. So I took a class called, I took an intellectual property class with a professor who I just really enjoyed his, his way of teaching. It made it fun and he would bring in all of these relevant, you know, uh, play songs and we talk about, you know, what are the differences between them and legal, like, you know, it was just, it was really immersive for law school uh, class and I really liked it. So the following semester he was teaching privacy law. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but like, like the professor sounds great. I'll tell you, know, the, 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 the write-up sounded interesting, but this was back in 2004. There was no privacy industry. There was, there weren't even like privacy practices at law firms. It was like, oh, you do healthcare. So you need to know about HIPAA. Oh, you do, you know, uh, 
banking. So you need to know about Graham Leach Bliley Act. And that's, you know, all the privacy notices we have on the bottom of our credit card statements. So it was very sectoral at the time. And so I just really loved the class. And then I thought, wow, all this privacy stuff is statutory based. Like it's not, it's not like we're interpreting a lot from the constitution in the past. It's now a lot more around here's the statute for this industry and it's it's setting up a framework for for how do you compliantly follow things in that industry and i liked how that was very i don't know using new language statutory language and that it wasn't based on some interpretations of of uh, the constitution there's plenty of those questions around privacy fourth amendment rights all of that stuff but the practice of privacy was around these new laws and i thought that was interesting and hey like let me get i can blend tech I had graduated college in 2000 during the dot bomb era, and now I was, you know, graduating from law school in 2005. I'm like, I could go into this new area, blending like a combination of tech, and then these maybe pseudo non-property rights about your own data, right? <laughs> Somehow, I really like that intangible property right aspect that I think threaded through this idea of privacy as well. Yeah, I think that's how I got into it. There was no privacy industry. I was watching one form and got excited about being at the the precipice of this new area. Yeah, I mean, you entered at a point where, you know, some, I guess, industry-specific privacy policies were in place, but nothing like what we see today. And so, I mean, your experience and your, you know, your career has probably followed that growth without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you'll see a company, you know, I'll go to, I've worked at a company, let's say in the past few years, and I've been like, how have you not addressed this particular issue when, you know, it's either low hanging fruit or it's been an issue for 20 years or, you know, and, and so it's shocking at how little has changed in some companies. Whereas in other companies, you're like, holy crap, I'm, I'm amazed at how advanced you are in your thinking where you're even looking at how do you inform your architecture of your company to better protect privacy as opposed to thinking of it as, you know, something like it will add the privacy on after the product is shipped, which is just such an asinine idea. Like that's not possible, right? Uh, but but yet that most most founders, corporate leaders still don't really realize that privacy has to be embedded in everything you do. And it's not just something that's like, we'll scan for it later and make sure we have it. You know, <laughs> it has to be thoughtfully uh, architected. In. Yeah, it's not 48 hours before launch. And that's how we're wrapping everything up. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Just make sure the disclosures are okay and that the opt-ins are fine. It's like, that is just, that is like a minuscule uh, amount of what needs to get done, (laughs) you know? And it it makes sense why product teams, designers, or, you know, just don't necessarily understand how much is involved under the hood because we want everything to be usable. We want usable privacy, usable security. And I think the security sector has about 15, 20 years on on privacy where they've been able to move the needle over time. And so now hopefully we're able to move the needle on privacy faster because we've seen how how it's matured in security and we can kind of follow some of those same levers or even just like fit into a current security uh, review process maybe and then have you know, security mindset kind of look at, uh, you know, your flows of data and and, and uh, at that security gating process. So there's there's no reason to throw out some of the really great work the security teams have done 
uh, in terms of getting processes and workflows and, and all that. But then um, we're really assessing, instead of looking at locking down systems and data with privacy, we're looking at how, how do we enable that data to be used in a privacy preserving way. And so it, it requires a little more of a set of a set of tools instead of just like bludgeoning it with encryption and saying like, okay, great. Now encryption, you can't use any of the data now, but at least it's safe. Right. So we want to get like somewhere in between where we can both action upon and analyze data and gain insights from it, but at the same time being respectful of the people. Yes. And early Early in your career, you know, you did have several titles that were privacy consultant or kind of something along those lines. I mean, it looked like several of the roles you had, you know, were maybe two years max kind of thing. So has your experience been that, you know, you go in, you lay the groundwork, the work starts to happen, and then you move on? Yeah, in the past. So I, you know, things are different now. If people... First of all, I think consulting is a great a way to get thrown into the fire and just learn in an immersive way a lot of, about privacy or security or whatever it is you want to actually like consult on. There's you're just exposed to so much more than you would be even working in one company. Um, and so I highly recommend be, uh, being a consultant, whether it's at a large established consulting firm or a smaller one, like they, they, they all have their pros and cons. But in my experience, so I was working, for instance, at, at IBM for two years in their federal practice. So I was out in DC and I would have different federal clients that I'd be working with, mostly long-term, like year and a half projects. So like the, I worked with the Department of Veterans Affairs for a few years on getting their privacy impact assessments as part of their FISMA compliance, like, you know, in a good processed, you know, having a good processes around that and goals and metrics and meeting them and, and all of that good stuff. I would say that in those instances, there was a program, there was a program need, you know, government contract kind of thing, uh, where deploy, I was at IBM, so IBM was deployed uh, on this particular project, and I would lead programs like that. Uh, then there would be times where it would be like, I would get deployed for maybe more higher level, like higher impact problems that maybe were only like three week long problem, right? Or I'd come in and I'd set up and I'd say, this is what needs to get done. And another team would then come in and implement that. And so I think it depends on the, what projects are in the hopper with consulting, especially with the large companies, you never know what you're going to get deployed to. It's not usually beforehand, you don't know what the project is, then you come on board, then they see what's available and you end up getting assigned to a particular project. Sometimes the project's really fun. Other times the project is mind numbing, right? And so I, I have moved around in my career to different, uh, usually not across different teams within a company because there just wasn't another team that needed a privacy person at the time. That is different when I was at Amazon. I moved over from an AWS team to a Prime Video team. I think that's the one instance that I can point to in a company where I've moved from one area to another. Just because as I was coming into this field, it was brand new. So usually I would get, I would be the privacy person. And then it would be like, well, why do we need another privacy person? We have you. And you're like, because, you know, and then you're just constantly having to, to spend the time in making the argument for 
resources, why your role matters, why, why the fight for privacy within the org. And so a lot of time and effort is, I mean, this is just the way it is with anything risk-based is a lot of, well, you have to justify why you need all of these resources and things. And so um, sometimes what that did is I would have to be justified. This is why we need a chief privacy, a chief security officer, because I'm only doing the privacy part and we need someone to do security. Then they hire a chief security officer and then they're like, well, you don't need a team now. Like, we'll just hire them onto the security team that you just argued for. So I have had the challenge of in, in the past of having, maybe I'm not the best at arguing why we need these things. I'm just better at doing it. But I've had challenges where I'm constantly fighting for resources. And so I, at a certain point, just refuse to work in a company where I have to make the argument. If you are not already sold on why privacy is important in your company, you're going to need to find someone to sell you on that because it's not going to be me. So so after having gone through that, again, mostly growing pains as an industry, but still my experience generally, it was frustrating. And so I've, I really am at the point now where I make the case publicly why we need to shift left for privacy. Basically what I mean is, it's not enough just to go through all the check boxes of what is on a, a particular law and be like, we need a policy that says this, we go do it. We need a thing that says that, and we do it. That's not a strategy. That's literally just like checking the box that things are getting done. And if you're not doing this strategically, where you truly want to improve privacy aims, like we want to say that if we make certain assurances that you can test against those assurances and there's proof that those assurances are holding up, there's been a lack of privacy assurance in the past, and that's made it really difficult to prove that you're getting the privacy or you're doing the quote-unquote privacy or you're doing the right, th right things. Now, with all these privacy-enhancing technologies, no longer just being about experiments in the lab that, that you know, PhDs are working with, but now postdocs are being brought into organizations like the big tech. And I, I say big tech because... They're the ones that have some of the biggest problems with managing the, their personal data they've collected like for the past 20 years that they now need to get up, not only become compliant, but they need to like get rid of the risk, the risky problems so that they can then be able to say that the, we're using your data in a safe way. They have to go through so many more steps because they've collected all this data and are trying to de-risk it as opposed to you know, if they just, well, actually that's one thing they need to fix, but then they also need to create these new flows that are safe for the data. And so you've got all these new technologies that like data analysts can use and they could share personal data um, and do action, you know, action upon it and do an analysis using things like differential privacy techniques. It introduces noise into the equations so that you can't tell who necessarily answered what question. And therefore, I mean, it's very mathematical based and I can even describe it if I wanted to, but it allows you to, again, have these privacy preserving analysis along with other things like multi-party computing and local processing and federated learning and all of these new techniques that allow you, you can even do it encrypted data like homomorphic encryption. And so it's now like a who's who almost like, you pick the outcome you want, you pick the use case, and then you can you have like a whole set of privacy enhancing technologies that many different companies are now creating into, you know, platforms that make it easier for for developers and data scientists to use. So anyway, it's just, just it, that's where I'm fo focusing on today is companies that are trying to solve those problems, trying to solve their architecture, trying to understand I have two data sets I want to join. How do I do this without breaking privacy? I like working at those companies way more than companies going like, I don't know, I guess we need to hire a chief privacy officer. It's like if you need to be convinced 
then you're you 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 know that's a job for somebody else. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely think there's a balance. I think there's and this may be more on a layperson level. There's not enough education about what you should be expecting out of these. And so maybe that's true in some of these C-suite levels, but a lot of them, they should have some idea at this point. So there's that basic level of education, but then the convincing beyond that shouldn't be required. It's here's the base level that if you don't already know, you really need to know this because as a business owner, as someone who is collecting this information, you need to know this so that you can do right by your customers and your clients. And then like that should be like a, yes, how do I do this? And, you know, you move forward with it. Exactly. Right. And so there's this whole new career growth opportunity for engineers, actually, which I am not technically an engineer, although I advocate for them all the time. Uh, There have been so many analysts and lawyers and just liberal arts folks, let's just say non-technical folks that have been working in privacy for so long um, there's been this growing gap and need for technologists who are hand, you know, applied technologists, mathematicians, uh, engineers, architects, developers, right, to to help build out these new systems. And, and you know, uh, it's just explosive growth for privacy engineering. So that's a really exciting area to just like watch for because I think it's a new path that, I mean, it's quite lucrative at the moment too because you can't find enough privacy engineers um, on the market. So yeah, definitely. And so I guess, as far as the work you do now, you've since started your own business as a privacy consultant, you call yourself the privacy guru, which I love. <laughs> and so, you know, do you have a team of the implementers that work with you? Or do you work with implementers within the companies you consult with? Yeah, that's a really great question. For the last like two years, I haven't been working on implementation as much as I have been on working with privacy tech companies. So I've been sitting on a bunch of the uh, the advisory boards for privacy tech companies. Some of the, the bigger named ones had been in the past where uh, Big ID uh, and now Provado. They, Provado does static code analysis for privacy. So Provado is also sponsoring my podcast, which is the Shifting Privacy Left podcast, uh, and which goes really well with their motto as well. So this is, I honestly think that the the new wave of privacy tech companies are kind of, I'm trying to help champion in uh, a new era of, of, of tool sets that can help tackle the privacy problem uh, across different organizations. So what I'm finding is I'm doing a lot more evangelism externally. I've, I've, my, in my particular journey, I have found that I can exact way more change on organizations externally than when I'm in them. When I'm in them, we're defining the problem by that company's particular problem. But sometimes you need to also compare to like other things like what's the norm and how is the how is the industry addressing this and or how is if we don't address this in our industry right here, how's that going to affect this over there externally in two years when things converge, right? Like things are converging around ethics and technology. It's not just privacy, it's it's safety and I don't know if you're if you're doing working on stuff in the metaverse, then you're dealing with maybe it's medical and safety. I mean, things are overlapping and you want to make sure that you're 
respecting that individual in the end, right? Like that, it's a customer obsession problem, right? And so I've been loving working, uh, like being able to move the needle by inspiring other privacy experts through this podcast. And a lot of what I'm trying to do now is, is really like work on some trainings and get them out to market, but also to get, basically, I would love to join a company that is creating a privacy engineering consulting firm or something like that, right? But I'm not a privacy engineer. So I cannot, I have to do it with other privacy engineers. And I would love to help bring something like that to market because that is, I mean, the, the opportunity is so ripe for that right now. There's such a need for understanding these technologies and then implementing them into organizations. But for right now, I'm more of a fangirl of them, trying to get people, trying to demystify them, get other people to understand uh, how they're used, when they're used, why they're so powerful, um, and that they're no longer just ideas in the lab, but they're actually real world tools that can be deployed today if you have the right people. So yeah, so on that note, I'm really more of an advocate for the industry. Like I'm working with uh, the Rise of Privacy Tech, which is an organization that is try uh that is getting innovators, investors, privacy tech buyers, and experts all together, you know, and convene conversations where we can all build that pie for the industry and make, make things safe. Uh, and so I'm an advisor for them as well. So I'm, I'm just having a lot of fun right now, dipping my toe into a bunch of ponds because I'm really enjoying watching the advancement of privacy generally. And I'm not really sure how it's going to shake up yet, right? In terms of like, where are the main jobs going to be? I'm not looking to build my own company right now that has employees and is then like, I don't want to manage people like that's, but I have an organization that you could plug into if you're looking for go-to-market messaging on your privacy features, doing a lot of sales and marketing support, given that I understand the, the market so well that I can help companies position themselves in the market. So so I moved from consulting on very specific problems that companies were having to much more of a how, how would, you know, how do you come to market with a privacy mm -hmm. product and service? And I guess, you know, when you look at it from that angle, it's trying to find the way to really embed privacy into, you know, the pillars of that product rather than the yeah. afterthought process. Right. And it's also, I help with like, who are your buyers? Like, you know, is it the chief security officer? It could be. Is it the CPO, the data protection officer? Is it really the head of engineering? Because you've got like a more engineering focused privacy product. Maybe it's all of those people need to all agree in one company. Well, then you need to speak their language and be able to speak to what moves the needle for them. Um, whereas like a privacy council is going to care a lot more about compliance with the law and potentially, you know, not getting into a gray area that might invite FTC scrutiny or GDPR scrutiny, you know, based on what their assessment of the law is, uh, you know, head of engineering is going to have a completely different point of view. They're going to be like, damn it, uh, you know, this data protection GDPR stuff just got like put on my lap. I don't really want to do this at all, but I have to figure this stuff out. I need a tool for it. Like, what are the what are the levers that a, an engineering manager are going to want to hear, right? Or they're going to want to know that this is enabling the engineers on their team to do something as opposed to being a blocker that they now need to, like, try to get this off of their plate and onto, you know, somebody else's plate. And so I... Right. And so the problems that I've seen over my career, you go to a conference like the RSA Security Conference or Black Hat or you, you, you name the conference, every single vendor booth starts to look the same. It's like, 
I start to see for privacy, for instance, you know, you'll see GDPR compliant, uh, which means nothing, right? Like, or, you know, privacy enhancing technologies of today. And it's just like marketing speak that literally says nothing. And each booth of vastly different product offerings have very similar marketing because their marketing, their, their CMO is not a privacy expert and they don't know the nuances and the art of distinguishing between these types of, of products. And so if you're going to have a code scanning tool, you absolutely want the marketing around that to sound a lot different from, you know, a, a data subject access request, request software, you know, delivery software or something like that. I mean, they're vastly different people who would even be using them behind the scenes within an organization, right? And one, you'd have engineers that are scanning their own code and looking for risks. And the other, you're looking at, it's more external to the organization and you need to be very accurate about what you're providing back about the data you have about individuals, right? So you're going to have just different eyeballs on this, different, different ways of presenting it to the market. And then if you want to ever sell your product, you know, you want to be heard and you want, I know when I was looking at products, I'd be like, these people don't know what they're doing because I'm looking at their marketing and I could tell you that their marketing, they, they should be targeting me and they're not saying the things that they should be saying. Therefore, I think my assumption is that behind the scenes, they're full of crap, right? And so you don't want to come out to the market immediately experts thinking you're full of crap because you don't know how to speak the language, right? And so I, that's an area I kind of, you know, I specialize there on disambiguating by really honing on what is the solution, who's it going to, who's it a pain point for, and how do you get over that pain point to, to win the business? So I basically didn't lo love being perceived as privacy as a cost center for so much of my career. And now it, I'm focused way more on privacy as a revenue driver. And if you get it wrong, you lose money. If you do it right, you're supercharging your revenue. And messaging it that way has been a lot, let's just say, not only a happier way of, of messaging it, but uh, but it's it's been a much more fulfilling uh, career path for me personally when I'm working with others who we feel like we're doing something together to better the company, as opposed to, you're really nice and all, but like, I got to go code up this thing. Why do I have to talk to the privacy person, right? Like, it's... A, that friction is no longer there when you're working together to solve for a problem. The conversation that I had with Deborah was so interesting and relatable that we talked for quite some time. So I have split this episode into two parts. So be sure to listen in in two weeks for part two. You'll find all kinds of great links in this episode from the show notes, such as how to get in touch with Deborah or how to stay up to date with me and the podcast. You can rate, review, and subscribe, even sharing the episode with someone who you think will enjoy it makes such a big difference. And if you leave a review on Apple for the podcast or you send me a message on Anchor about why you love the podcast and then follow up with me, you can do so on LinkedIn or on Instagram, wherever you can find me. I'm offering you a 30-minute coaching session to talk all things career and tech transition, and I'm offering five of these for reviews and messages sent in the month of June 2023. You'll find the links for that in the show notes too. I will see you again in two weeks. Cheers. Cheers.